You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Church, welcome to church here at Canby Foursquare. If you're watching online, we want to say an extra special thank you to you as well. Uh, and I noticed that the 9 a.m. is a little bit more full this Sunday. Is it because you guys all want to get home and prepare for the Super Bowl? I mean, I do see some Chiefs uniforms out, out in the audience right now. Um, if you look, I am fairly more dressed up than I normally would. I kind of went the opposite direction of where I planned to be dressed for this Sunday. Uh, because if the San Francisco 49ers could just keep a quarterback on their feet, uh, we'd probably be in a different story right now. And so instead of wearing all my 49ers gear this morning, I decided just to go the other direction and be much more classy. So you get fancy Ryan this morning instead of 49ers obsessed Ryan. Um, but I want to mention really quick, because we didn't really get a chance to, um, please, we want to invite you to visit our Say Yes campaign table that we have in the front lobby. Uh, if you haven't yet, today they have donut holes. Last week it was cotton candy. Today is donut holes. So at least go get a donut hole and talk to Sabrina, my wife, uh, who's the kids ministry assistant, about what it looks like to say yes to the next generation, because this is a big deal, church. We have uh, growing kids and youth ministry right now, and we want to invite you, not plead or beg you, but just invite you to further a discipleship process, to begin to lean in more to, to serving. Uh, and it honestly, spark that conversation of, hey, like, where do you serve? Um, you know, which kids class do you have the blessing to serve in? Because if you look, go out there, you'll see some boards out there, uh, and they have everything you're saying yes to on them, which is a lot of fun, because some of the things are like the most precious things, like kids and hugs, but some of the things is like repetition again and again and again. Uh, but our kids need that. Our kids need people to say yes to them. Actually, I had a conversation with a dad who's serving in the nursery a few weeks back, and he literally said, like, I just want all the dads to know it's great. Like, you don't have to change diapers because Foursquare doesn't allow men to change diapers. So dudes in the room, you can serve in the nursery, and you don't even have to change a diaper. That's worth, that's worth applauding right there. Um, so we want to invite you to just come and be a part of what we have going on and our, from our babies all the way through our youth as well. So, um, but I want to I start this morning by asking if, and this is more of a rhetorical, so don't like throw your hand up, but have you ever walked into a situation that you thought you were like really, really prepared for, but actually you were not prepared for? I'm sure we've all had these moments. Uh, actually, so Oscar Wilde stated that to expect the unexpected shows a, 30, a thoroughly ma- uh, modern and mature intellect. And I want to like actually, like if I could ask him, like what does that mean to, how do you expect the unexpected? Because the unexpected isn't expected. That's the whole point of it being the unexpected. How do you even do that? How does one expect that? Does it look like just being ready for anything? How do you, how do you do that? And actually, um, when I was kind of preparing for this story, I am a huge history buff, like, or history nerd, whatever you want to call it. I love history, all sorts of history. Um, but I was thinking about trying to figure out, like, what's some kind of story about people being unprepared? And I was, I, like, I love World War II documentaries, and there was this one I watched actually a few months ago, and it was about the very first time the American soldiers in World War II engaged Nazi Germany and Africa. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it did not end well for us. It did not. We had a bunch of new uh, young men who had never fought ever going into their very first battle with the most experienced, battle-hardened uh, soldiers Nazi Germany had in Africa. And lo and behold, we made basically every mistake you can make 
not only at the level of the soldiers, but leadership-wise, the, the men leading these men into battle made every mistake you could make. They let themselves be backed into a ravine, and it's called the Battle of Kasserine Pass because the American soldiers retreated and retreated in certain ways that they shouldn't have, and they get backed into a corner and are forced to end up surrendering. And it's our very first time we fight Nazi Germany, and it makes us look just so bad and embarrassed. Because we, I want to say, I think that they thought they were very prepared, but the end result showed beyond shadow of a doubt that they were not prepared for what they were facing. And how it feels to have to come to terms with the fact that maybe you're not as prepared as you want to be. And this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to see in John 16 where Jesus prepares his disciples for what they needed to be prepared for, something that they could not even foresee and something I don't think they would, they fully understood until it actually happened. The disciples learned in John 16 how unprepared they were for Jesus to leave. Something that is so powerful that I love about the Bible too is that we can find passages like John 16 and we can read through them uh, and we can read through them again and again and then we come back to it, we still learn something new. And passages like John 16 can stump, like, even the most uh, people who have, who have studied the Bible more than anyone, you can read John 16 again and go, oh my goodness, there's so much here. But in the same breath, we can teach John 16 to our children in a very foundational, loving, powerful way where they can understand it as well. This is why I love the Bible, because, like, there's stories in it that speak to the power of God that even a child can understand. And then there's stories about the power of God in another way that can stump even the most well-known theologian. It's amazing. The disciples were unprepared for what was to come, and this was the conversation here we're going to read today uh, that Jesus used to prepare his disciples for what they were not prepared for, and it was, it was not uh, fully understood, I think, until Jesus' resurrection that they understood what he was saying and what he was doing. And so if you want to follow along here, we're going to be in John 16 in our moment, but we have a QR code up on the screen as well if you want to scan that and follow along with our notes because the end of John 16 is the final time Jesus intentionally teaches his disciples before going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and I want, you, I want to take a moment to think about this for a second. Because Jesus went into the Garden that night specifically to be arrested and taken before the religious leaders to then be beaten and murdered. Specifically. Like he knew going into the Garden that this is where he was walking into. And the only thing I can compare to this is being a teenager and your parents have called you and I'm an era of, I've, you know, cell phones, so maybe or whatever, but your parents contact you and they know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble and they've told you to come home and you get to your house and you're standing there at the front door like, if I walk in here, it's going to be bad. I could just leave. I could just go somewhere else. I could, I, I could just not go home. Uh, and I had a couple of those moments as a teenager. But thinking, I have to go home at some point, right? Like, I can't just not go home. That's not an option. And Jesus, he was there. He knew he had to go back to the Father at some point, And he knew it was going to be painful. He knew it was going to be hard. But he went anyways. He knew. But when he went into the garden, instead of leading Jerusalem, he knew he was going towards his demise. And he went in anyways. Like, I bravely faced my parents when I was a teenager, guys. I'm just kidding. I don't compare me to Jesus. Don't do that. This is what Jesus teaches, though, his disciples before he enters that, uh, that garden that night. In John 16, we're going to read John 16, verse 16, and then we're going to skip down to 19 and go through 33. So we're going to read a chunk, and then we're going to talk about what this means for us as well. So if you follow along with me here, it says this. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while 
you will see me. So Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, uh, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything, because very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until you, now you have not uh, asked for anything in my name, ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. He knew he had to go back in some way. I love this. Then Jesus said to the disciples, uh, oh, sorry, then Jesus, the, the, Jesus' disciples said, pardon me, now you're speaking clearly and without figure of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. And Jesus responded, do you now believe? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things that in me you may have peace and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I love that because if we tell children Jesus has overcome, that's such a powerful statement for a kid to hear. Because their problems may seem smaller, their problems may seem huge to them, but small to us. But if they hear, I have over Jesus has overcome that problem for you. That is so powerful for a kid to hear. And so this passage, I think, could be called like the consequences of discipleship. Because in chapter 15, Jesus said, we are his friends. And in chapter 16, he tells his disciples that they will experience sorrow. At face value, that seems like quite the turnaround, but when we look at it, Jesus is telling his friends, right, that he's about to leave them, and that is an occasion for sorrow. Jesus' disciples had been called, they had been shown the power of God, they had been shown miracles, the miraculous, they'd seen dead come back to life, they'd seen Jesus walk across the water, they had seen blind people see all these things that ever throughout the whole book of John we hear, whoever heard of a man doing something like these things? They even saw Jesus in his glorious form, and all of that was about to leave them. And so at this point, the disciples have been told that Jesus is going to die, that one of them will betray Jesus, and he's already left to do that, and that Peter, the most, I'd say, just courageous out of the bunch, is going to deny him. It'd be easy, easy to be in a state of sorrow in this moment. And I want to break this down a little bit verse by verse as we look at how we can be prepared to be a disciple, kind of like Jesus goes into, and then how we can be prepared for joy. And I'm really excited about that second one. But the first one is this, what is it, a prepared to be a disciple, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Because Jesus spent three and a half years preparing his followers to be his disciples, and he spent all that time preparing them 
for this moment, for the moment when they would have to be his disciples, but without him. This world, uh, this would have been a brand new experience for him, for him and his disciples. His disciples have done nothing but follow him, be in awe of him, and now Jesus is telling them, I'm about to go, and now it's your turn to go and do all these things that I've done. This would have been completely new for them. And this week I had a new experience, and to kind of paint this picture, uh, we, my, our son is in kindergarten, and I have, we have always walked him into his class. Um, when we drop him off at school, I'll park and I'll walk him in, we'll hang up his backpack, I'll give him a hug, it's really great, it's a precious moment for me. But on Monday, we were pulling in and he says, like, Dad, can you just drop me off? And it's really sad, I'm like, no, I want to walk you in, I love this. He's like, no, like, can you just, can you just drop me off, I'll walk in. I'll be okay. Like, I'll do this on my own. And this was a new experience for me. I'm more and more focused about myself here in this moment. It was definitely a new experience for him. And so I parked our car and I said, okay. And we have a van where you can push the button and the door opens. It's really nice. I love it. So I don't even have to get out of the car. And he gets out of his seatbelt. He, he grabs his jacket and his backpack. He hops out, closes the door. And as the door is closing, though, I see a school bus, like, driving up. And so dad instinct kicks in for me, and this is, again, new for me, and I just yell, like, Liam, there's a bus! And he literally just doesn't hear anything and just, like, nonchalantly is walking around. And I, so I roll down our window. I was like, Liam, look out for the bus! And he stops for a moment, and he doesn't even, I don't even think he heard what I said because I think he thinks I was telling him to just walk around the grass. So he, like, stops and walks around the grass, but then still, like, walks, and thankfully the bus had stopped. And then walks in front of this bus and walks in the door. And I have like this five-year-old life flashing through my eyes. As like the one time I, I let him like go and do it on his own, experience it on his own for the first time, I just had this moment of, oh my goodness, this is where it ends. This is where it ends. I'm a terrible father. Luckily, I mean, things are okay. But I had this new experience where I just felt like all of this emotion rushed into me. And I can only imagine what the disciples must have been feeling when Jesus is telling them, now it's your turn. And this rush of emotions and this rush of feeling that they have, that now it's on them. That now it's on them. In verse 20, Jesus tells them, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Because church, you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. I'm going to unpack that later, but in a few minutes, when they head into the Garden of Gethsemane, their sorrow was going to begin. They were going to be sorrowful because the enemies of Jesus would, at least for a moment, it would seem, be victorious. And at this moment, too, they were going to be sorrowful because all their expectations are going to be ripped from them because they still did not fully understand what was happening and what was going to happen. They did not fully understand. And in this moment, all of his disciples flee. The moment Jesus is arrested, all of them run away. And in verse 21, it says this. It says, a woman is in sorrow when her time has come, but her sorrow turns to joy because a baby is brought into the world. And this is honestly a perfect analogy uh, that Jesus brought into this moment. Because as a husband and a father of two kids, I can, I can attest to this, the analogy being completely true. Okay, uh, when Liam was born, Sabrina went through 36 hours, yes, 36 hours, it's a long time, of labor to bring Liam into the world. And it was a hard process for us together, mostly for her, obviously, but it was really hard <laughs> for us together to go through this because everything, and there's a long story there, but 
thankfully we got to, instead of a C-section, we got to do it the, the, the normal way, or the, the preferred way, I guess you could say, and it took a long time. And I remember us both losing hope and kind of being sorrowful at how long it was taking, and Sabrina was struggling and struggling, and it was very difficult, but after 36 hours of time spent, this is an incredible accurate depiction of what was to come because the moment our son came, none of it mattered anymore. I don't think I've ever seen Sabrina smile bigger, even on our wedding day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, don't think I've, I don't think I've ever seen Sabrina smile like that, only in a few moments in her life, when Liam was handed to her and none of it mattered anymore. None of, it, none of the pain, none of the sorrow, none of the everything we went through to get to that moment mattered because he was here. And the same thing with our, our daughter. I can, she, we, we struggled a little pretty hard with Shauna too. And the moment Shauna was handed to Sabrina, none of it mattered. It was like everything was behind her. And actually Sabrina even says she doesn't really remember anything before that. And it, it's, she's just kind of blocking it out probably. But there's actually is scientific research that shows like the chemical oxytocin when your body releases it, especially during pregnancy and labor, specifically has certain memory loss traits in it. So that women will forget the pain and just think about the good. And that, that literally happens. That's so crazy is that Lord, that, that God has designed us to help, like, in a way to help us move past sorrow and pain and focus on the good. And then this, I love this depiction because modern culture tries to tell us we don't need to go through the sorrow and the pain to get to the joy. Right? We don't, there's the discipleship process. We don't have to go through the discipleship process to get to the good at the end. That's what instant gratification is, the, what the world offers. We can have whatever we want, whenever we want it, with no consequences. We don't have to go through the hard discipleship process of doing things the right way. And I, I want to say, like, the world might say, or culture might tell you, you can live with that guy or girl you're dating because there's no need to wait until you're married. You know, the culture might say, you can drink as much as you want because it's Friday or it's the Super Bowl. You can do that party lifestyle or you can go out and have fun as much as you want because it feels good right now. And in the moment, that's all that matters. We don't have to go through the hard stuff to get to the good. We have a choice though, church. We can choose between a moment or moments of happiness and a lifetime of pain, or we can choose between moments of pain and an eternity of joy in this life and in the next. Because culture and society are taking, kind of taking away slowly but surely the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about this last week in John 15 about the abiding in the vine and bearing fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit um, that we, like, are so, we should be so desperately holding on to for growth, the world is slowly and culture is slowly chipping away at. Patience for starters. We no longer have to patiently really wait for anything. Sometimes I've had to tell my son when he wants to know something really badly that I could easily Google. I just say, I don't know. And instead of Googling it, which I could, and tell him the fact, like, I want him to practice not knowing something. You know, for, like, patients, it doesn't hurt when we order something online anymore because it doesn't take two weeks to get to us. It takes two days. Or honestly, even that day, I ordered batteries two weeks ago from Amazon for the youth building. I ordered them at 8 a.m. when I started work. They got there at 4, the same day. And while that's awesome, I didn't have to wait I didn't have to be patient. I didn't have to do anything hard or go through anything to get them. I just pushed a button. With where our culture is headed, it doesn't, it doesn't want us to experience sorrow 
the world, this culture doesn't want us to experience all these negative things that take us and that God's able to turn into joy for us. You know, society wants this new fancy word like utopia. But Jesus doesn't promise utopia. Jesus tells us the opposite. He promises us sorrow in this passage. And he keeps his promises. That's one thing we know about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit is they're really good at keeping their promises. Society says it can take away sorrow and doesn't deliver on that promise. The world might say it can give us joy, but it doesn't deliver on that promise. Jesus promised us there will be sorrow, and there is. But Jesus promises also that our sorrows will be turned to joy, and it does. Jesus keeps his promises. So being a disciple means accepting a life of growth. This points us back to what Jesus said prior in the part of the conversation recorded in John 15, where the pruning process is not always easy. You know, last week we said, Church, learn to enjoy and love and thrive in the pruning process. You know, through pain, stress, anxiety, you name it, being a disciple of Jesus does not disqualify us from these things. It's just part of being human. What being a disciple does is it gives us access to be able to deal with these painful experiences like no one else can. Because being a disciple prepares us for that life of joy. What does it mean to be a disciple? It's a, it's a constant life of growth that prepares us for a life of joy. And that's uh, the second thing we want to go over this morning in this passage is being prepared for joy. What does it look like to be prepared for the joy that's coming? Because verse 22 says, no one will be able to take away your joy. And I, I really, I want to I, I just sit on this verse and hang out here all day long and say like, no one can take away my joy that Jesus gives me. That sounds pretty good. Maybe if I can just remember this every day, I think I'll be a little bit better. If you abide in Jesus, you will be connected to that source of life. And while fully connected to that source of life, no one will be able to take away your joy. And no one can take away joy because God turns our sorrow into joy. And I want to pay attention to this. Jesus, because Jesus did not say, I'm going to take away your sorrow and then give you joy in return. That's not what Jesus said. He said, no, I'm going to turn your sorrow, transform it into joy. I'm going to take the thing that is bringing sorrow into your life or pain, stress, anxiety, those things into your life, and I'm going to use that to bring joy into your life. He didn't say, I'm going to take it from you to give you something good. I'm going to take what is bad, and I'm going to make it good. Because see, we don't see any of the apostles in the New Testament writings being sorrowful over the cross. You know, Hebrews 12, too, is a great example of this. You can look it up a little bit later. But we see thankfulness. We see power. We see joy in the cross because Jesus transformed the sorrow he promised them in John 16, into joy. He took the thing, the cross, that would have brought the most sorrow on his followers, and he transformed the symbol of the cross of death, of painful death, into a source of joy for all of his followers. This is why we have crosses all over church campuses now. This is why we look at crosses, and we look at it and say, we can have joy in the cross. Jesus took the most painful thing his followers and he went through, and he turned it into the most joyful expression of God's love. God can take the sorrows we feel and turn them into a cause of joy because this is God's pattern. This is God's pattern, church. Remember that when you are going through a difficult season or when you're you're struggling through things, God's pattern is not to leave you there, it's to walk you through it. Have you asked for joy? I don't know about you, but I I don't want to get to heaven one day and find out that I could have prayed more often 
or like didn't ask often enough for God's help or God's joy in my life. I don't want the angel who's like got the tallies, whatever, whatever, you know, like he's keeping track of my life to be like, wow, Ryan, you really could have prayed more. Like you only got six pages here of prayers. I don't want that to happen to me. I want to appear as desperate for God's help as possible. And I don't care if the angel says to me or whoever, you know, St. Peter says like, wow, you were really desperate on earth. Like, yes, I was. Thank you for noticing. Thank you. I love God. I need his help so much. Thank you for noticing. We are desperate for God's help. The disciples couldn't fully understand the separation that they were going to face, so they could not fully understand the joy that was to come. Maybe, is that you? Have you ever been in the thick of a desolate, sorrowful, hard season, and you can't seem to see or find the joy that is to come? Jesus and the joy he can bring is always with you, because Jesus was making a way for our sorrow to be turned to joy. Because, see, joy is different than happiness. I want to break this down, because happiness is an emotion we feel when things are good. Happiness is like, I am happy because my bank account looks good, my relationship with my family or my spouse and my kids is good, my kids are good and doing good in school, uh, I get to have fun hobbies, like I have all these happy feelings because things are good. We loot, but we can lose that happiness the moment the good things disappear. The moment our bank account doesn't look as good as we want, the moment we're in a fight with our spouse or we're in a, our kids are, we're, we're at odds with our children, the moment, like happiness can be taken from us. Joy is different in this way because we can have stress, anxiety, and pain and suffering and still have joy. Uh, James chapter one, verses two through four say this church, listen to this, it says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is saying, consider it pure joy when trials, hardships, all these hard things come because it's an opportunity for the joy of the Lord to carry you through, for those things to be, the power of God to be seen in your struggles. That does not always mean your anxiety and your stress is fully gone, but it means you endure it because you have the joy of the Lord working in you. I want to say this, and this is something I said to our students actually last Sunday night, is that having stress, having anxiety, having depression, having hard things does not make you a bad Christian. Okay, it makes you human, and it makes you a perfect recipient of God's grace, love, and joy. Our next generation right now, like our, the next generation of young people coming up, have more mental health issues and struggles than any generation before them. They are struggling, and they need to hear about a God who says, I see you in your struggles, and it doesn't disqualify you from how much I love you. Church, the same way, we can't be void of feeling. We can't be void of that feelings and those, those things we're struggling with, but we can endure, we can move forward, and we can walk through life knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength and knowing that there's a God in heaven who loves us and cares for us so deeply that he takes the things that are the most painful for us and he turns them for his good and he turns them into joy in our life. That when we look back, we say the joy of the Lord was there. God brought me through that. God took something I thought was the hardest thing I've ever been through and he made it a source of joy in my life. Verses 31 through 33 say, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And this is where I want to close this morning. 
It says the disciples began to understand, but they, they didn't understand the whole picture. They, they say right before this, now we understand. Like we, you, you are speaking plainly. You're not speaking in riddles or parables or anything like that anymore. Now we understand. And Jesus is like, now you understand? Now? Jesus overcame so much. They, they weren't going to fully understand, like I said earlier, because the, he hadn't overcome the world yet. Because in verse 33, he says, the la- one of the last intentional teachings he says to them is he's going to say, he says this, take heart, you can have peace, because I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame social norms, church. Jesus overcame pain and sorrow. Jesus overcame culture and society and rules and all that. Jesus, just as Jesus overcame every roadblock that the church has ever faced, Jesus will overcome the next roadblock the church is facing. Jesus says, he says, I have overcome the world. That doesn't mean that when things are hard, like we're facing an identity crisis, like Ron has mentioned, in our, in our culture today, that doesn't mean, this isn't Jesus going like, I don't know what to do. Jesus is saying, I've already overcome this. I've overcome the world. He, he can uh, overcome any crisis our culture is facing. If you are a disciple, then true joy is offered to you, and in Jesus, you will have joy through peace. Not not peace, like not just peace like, oh, over your parts of your life, but because you're in Jesus, because you follow him, because you are in a life of growth like a disciple, you can find joy in your sorrow. You can find joy in your suffering. Let me ask you this. Have you let Jesus into those areas of your life where you're experiencing the most sorrow and pain right now? Or are you holding back on those things and saying, like, this is really hard. I, I can do this. I, maybe I should just do this on my own, Jesus. Have you asked Jesus into those areas of your life? Have you prayed specifically for joy? Because church, I want to share something with you. You are not a world overcomer. But Jesus is. You are not. But luckily, thankfully for us, Jesus is. Jesus overcame the world in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. He overcame the world when no one else could and when we can't either. He offers us this peace, and he promises us this tribulation and this hardship from the world, but Jesus says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome all of that. It comes from Jesus. Welcome Jesus in the areas of your life where you're experiencing that chaos, that stress, anger, sadness, you name it, and you'll experience joy at the same time. Like I said, you're not going to maybe experience happiness at the same time, but you will experience the Lord's joy at the same time when you welcome it into those areas. Jesus came to conquer the impossible, not to show us how to do it, but to do it for us. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. He didn't say, I'm helping you overcome the world, or I came so that you might overcome the world. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Then he invites us to take a ride with him while he just does it for us time and time again, day in and day out. Like if I'm picturing Jesus overcoming the world for me every day, it's like walking out my front door and Jesus, this is my Jesus, so just know. He's driving up in like a Pontiac GTO, like a 66 GTO, and he says, get in, dude, we're going for a ride. And I, I can't say no to that, obviously. This, li- this life may get crazy, but the world may in- seem crazy, overwhelming, and insane. But if you choose to get in the car with Jesus every day and let him take you for a ride, imagine how good that ride's going to be. And I'm not saying Jesus is the type of driver who like, breaks the law of the place, but like, he would be driving a Pontiac GTO in my, in my you know, I don't almost, fantasy's not the right word, in my mind. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. What do you need Jesus to overcome in your life, church? 
Let him take you for a ride. Let Jesus show you what he can do. Maybe commit to praying about one thing this week. What's your, what, what thing in your life is causing you the most anxiety, the most stress? And you're, uh, you're not praying for God just to take it away because Jesus said, I'm not, I don't take away and replace. Ask Jesus to appear in that and walk through that with you and be in that issue with you and watch him turn that issue of anxiety or stress into pure joy. And when that is resolved, commit to praying about the next thing. Church, Jesus says you always have troubles and you always have trials, but we can't count our bless those as a blessing because Jesus says, I've overcome the world. We're always going to have struggles, but Jesus didn't say you're always going to have struggles, period, and then went and died for us. He said you're always going to have struggles, but it's okay. You can have peace knowing that I've overcome. I've overcome the world. And church, commit, I want to invite you, I'm going to be doing this this week as well. Commit to praying for one thing that's causing you stress, causing you anxiety. Uh, Commit to growing as a disciple with this week and leaning into God's joy. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are asking in faith, uh, Lord, to be a church that is so dependent and reliant on you that it's almost embarrassing. Lord, I pray that we would be a loving, caring movement of disciples who are growing in you, who don't let the world knock us down, that doesn't let things that are happening in our life or things that are happening in culture or society, things that we're worried about happening across the planet or even in our own country right now. And we would say, we're scared of this or we're worried about this. And this causes us all this stress and anxiety, Lord, that we would just say, yeah, we have that, but Lord, we know you've overcome. Lord, we have these struggles, this pain, Lord, but we know that you've overcome and we know we can have joy. Lord, I pray that we would commit this week to, to praying, Lord, that we would commit to giving something over to you this week and experiencing your joy for taking a ride with you, Lord, and leaning in to what you have for us this week. God, help us to be about your business. Help us to be loving examples of your joy, um, Lord, as we commit to following you and being your disciple and your follower this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.